Now, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we pick up a new chapter. We pick up where we left off. And if you remember that Paul finishes at the end of chapter 4, dealing with the very first problem of the Corinthian church. And that first problem was the division in the church. And that division was resulting of two reasons for that division. One is that they were following man. I want to follow Apollos. I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Cephas. Following man, putting their eyes on man. And that becomes a problem because it will cause division when you do that. The second reason it was causing division in the church is that the men were being cardinal. They were living in the flesh. They were babes in Christ. They were not willing to grow. They just wanted to stay in the peripheral things of, oh, Jesus loves me and this I know. The Bible tells me so. And they were not growing any further than that. They love their certain verses. They love their certain topics and their certain places. But don't go in other places. Don't teach me about Romans. Don't teach me about Revelation. Don't teach me about Genesis. I only want to stay in the Gospels, and I only want to stay in the New Testament. That is not what God has for us. God wants us to know the whole counsel of God. But these churches, these, these believers were babes in Christ. They were not growing. They didn't, they didn't work keeping focused on Jesus. They were staying focused on the carnality, the flesh, and the things of the world. They wanted both, and that causes division because of the selfishness that it does bring. But he gave us that solution. He said Jesus is the way. He's the solution. He's the answer. And for us to keep our eyes on Jesus will bring unity to the body of, uh, in the church. If you would just get your eyes off yourself and think about others and keep your eyes on Jesus and serving others, it, unity happens. Because Christ is the foundation. He is the head of the church. We are all Christians. We are all a part of the family of Christ, of, of God. And then Christ is our unity that comes about that. It doesn't, the division does not have to happen. Now Paul today is going to address the next problem. He moves on from the division in the church. And now he's going to talk about church discipline. Because there was a moral problem within the church a moral problem i know that's hard to believe it, it doesn't happen here of course in this church it always happens in someone else's church but there, there at times there can be a moral problem that can kind of weave itself in through the lives of people and today we're going to see one very specific and that is a sexual immorality problem in the church that he's going to address specifically and he will address it in two different ways. He will address it in the verse, verses 1 through 8. He will address the church corporately regarding this sexual immorality. But he was also will talk about it from an individual perspective, verses 9 through 13. And Lord willing, we'll get through verses, all 13 verses today. Because I know if I ha stop halfway, some may not come back next week if we're going to talk about <laughs> this subject next week. So we're going to give it to you now, the whole bit, so you don't, have to, so you don't avoid it next week. Now, if you look at the fact that how we, the, the whole book is broken up, the first four chapters we see uh, the church was divided when they should have been united, right? 
You know, they, the body of believers should be united in just loving the Lord and serving the Lord, but they were divided because they were allowing their flesh to get involved. But here on this start of this chapter, they do the opposite. They're united around the fact that it's, it was okay to have sexual immorality or immoral things going on in the church. They were united that it was okay with that and not divided on that. And it was flip-flopped. And we're going to see why as we take a look at these verses because God gives us very clear uh, not only what it is but how to deal with that within the church. So let's, let's just take uh, the first few verses here. It's a, it's, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So just taking a look at these first two verses, we're going to see uh, in the first part several different um, problems that are going to be highlighted here in this, in this church. And he's going to be addressing the immorality in the church. And he gives us a problem and a solution. And we're going to see how this all plays out here. So in the very first part here, we're going to see that they should have been, as a church body, mourning over the sin that was in the body. They shouldn't have been accepting it, and we will see this very clearly. He says, in the very first problem that we see here is that it was around the subject of sexual immorality going on. Now, in the original Greek, we get the word pornea from this, and that's very natural. You can automatically say to yourself, pornea, oh, pornography. Yes, that is where we get the word pornography from. But it was more than just looking at pictures or looking at the website or looking at the, We're talking about an entire thought process and following through with actions of more than just dealing with prostitutions in your life. It was, it's just, it was a way of life of thinking and in including all aspects of sex before marriage or even sex before your official marriage. I mean, you've, yes, you've, you're engaged, but you haven't officially, with witness, been in marriage. That sex should not happen at that point. It's after that official uh, uh, ceremony, after the witnesses are there. That is when God says it's, it's good and it's right and it's ordained by God to come together as one. Not prior to that. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what the, your flesh says, regardless of who your example is and who you keep your eyes on. And that, if they did it wrong, they didn't do it God's way, that can mislead you to do it wrong as well. But we're to stay pure. We're supposed to do it according to God's way. That means no sex before marriage. That includes homosexuality. That is, that is also here that you're, that is not to happen, but that was happening within the church. And also incest, which is exactly what he kind of highlights here in our text today. And that is having a, relation, a sexual relationship with someone within the family. And we will see very clearly who that person, this, whoever this man is, actually was um, having a sexual relationship with. But because of the area of sex was one of the most dramatic subjects and challenges in this Greek culture, it was rampant to live like however you want to live. 
And because that culture was so open to it and so welcoming of it and exciting to, to participate, we know by history that they had all kinds of mixing of sexual immorality with religion and saying it was all okay. The Greek goddesses and all these other things that they were worshiping, the false gods. And it will cause those kinds of thinking. It will cause those kinds of ways of going against the word of God. And it will be the ethics of this Greek culture that will clash with the ethics of Jesus. Because Jesus says, no, that is not good for you. That is not the way I've designed it. And the culture will say, no, it's okay. Go for it. Love, peace, oh, joy. You know, all those things that people get wrapped up in. The sexual immorality was an accepted fact of life in the common person in the Greek culture. And because this church allowed that culture to come in and affect the church versus the church being a light and salt to the community, that culture, that's why they have some problems. And so very first verse here, we see the first problem of why they have this, and that is because it is actually reported. Now, what does that mean? That means there it was widely known in the community that that church was okay with sexual immorality happening within the church. It was one of those well-known public information. It was everybody knows if you want this type of lifestyle and you want to be able to continue in that lifestyle as a Christian, that's the church you go to. I assure you that is not a good reputation for that church. Are you, that's a problem. You understand that. Are you, that's a, this is where you get an amen grunt here, right? You're tracking with me, right? That is not good. But we see right from the very beginning, Paul says, I am not even living in your community right now, and I know where I'm at. I know what I hear about you. It happens today. I know there's certain churches I know from the West Coast and the East Coast and the South. I, I see it. I, I, I see it on, t- you know, things pop up through Facebooks or through other books that are being written. And you're like, that church is allowing that today? They're allowing homosexuality to be open in a sinful way in that church? Nothing new under the sun, is there? It was happening then and it is happening today. There's no discipline. There's no, there's no sticking to the word of God. They have allowed these things to come in from the culture into this, ch- into this church. So they, it was widely known. They strayed from the word of God. See, the Bible is our roadmap of life. The question is, oh, I don't know where my life is going. I'm not sure what the direction is. Then you need to be in the word of God because the Bible will give you direction. Well, I don't have time. I don't... I don't well, then you're going to wander out there because the Bible is the, is a roadmap for you in life. It gives you the guardrail so you stay on the road. You don't go over the cliffs. Are you with me? Very simple. Just know that that's where it is. You know where the source, you know where the guardrails are, you know the direction, the, the path that he has you is well lit. It's It's straight. Doesn't he promise all those things for us? We just have to be reminded, don't we? And then hold that, dear, and then be willing to share it with other people who come in your life 
and say, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know where I'm going. It's just a confused. And I'm, well, God is not of confusion. Let me, let's get into the word of God. Why would we go to the word? Because that is the roadmap for your life. Not my opinion. Not the world's opinion. But the word, but the word of God. That is what we go about. So. And so as we see that, they were straight off. They, they chose to go against the word of God. They started, and I'm not talking about non-essentials in the Christian faith here. I'm talking about essentials, right? Yeah, sexual immorality is against a very basic foundational of Christian living, right? So we're not talking about the non-essentials. I'm not talking about, oh, we don't like the paint on the walls, and I don't like the fact that you, you, you're not in a suit and tie, or all these non-essentials that people get wrapped up in in the church today. But what does the word of God say in those things that we're discussing? The essentials. That's what we need to stay firm on. The other things, we can, you know, we can disagree with those. That's okay. Because they're not essential to live in. But here, they were talking about an essential. They were going against the word of God. And this guy and this gal, this, this man was having a sexual relationship with his father's wife. Now, many people will say automatically say it's his stepmother that he's having a relationship with. It doesn't say that. It just says father's wife. doesn't mean it's more like he probably was his stepmother, but it could be the mother. Because it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say stepmother, does it? It just says father's wife. It doesn't matter, does it? It's incest. It's, it's, it's sin. And it's, go, it's going on, and they're accepting it, allowing it for that man in the church to still be in fellowship. Now, it's interesting this woman's not mentioned, because more than likely she was probably not a believer or she wasn't even part of the church at all. But regardless of what it is, this man was apparently having this ongoing sexual relationship, living together or married or, or, or however it was playing out there, but it was wrong and it was sin and it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be addressed. And for allowing that to continue to take place within the church is not allowable. God sees all things. He knows all things. He's everywhere. There's nothing that goes past his eyes. And it must be dealt with. Now the second problem we see here in this verse is that it, this sexual morality is a serious problem. Because he says, Paul says, in such sexual immorality as is, it's not even named among the Gentiles. You're allowing it in a Christian fellowship, but not even the Greeks, the non-believers see this as a good thing. They, they, that's absolutely wrong. Even the Roman government said that was wrong. You were never to do that. But this Christian church was allowing it to take place in their fellowship? That's, in, that's insane to me. But it happens today. People continue to live in sexual immorality and still call themselves Christians and continue to fellowship week after week after week. That cannot happen. And there's one thing that you as an individual sitting there and no one knows that you're doing it, but God knows. And it's only a matter of time it will be revealed, doesn't it? 
But to have you come into the church and people already widely know that you're doing what you're doing and they don't say anything, that can't happen. And that's what Paul is addressing here. That should never happen. Because Paul understood that this kind of incestuous incestuous relationship would be absolutely going against even the pagan culture and the Roman government knew that this was wrong. And if they said, well, I don't know if it was right or wrong, you know, we're, we're pretty tolerant at this church. We allow things to happen as long as they're happy, as long as they, they seem to be, you know, you know, getting along good and they're not causing any problems in the fellow. Well, it goes against the scripture. You can open up to Leviticus 18a. You can go to Deuteronomy 22, uh, 30. You can go to Deuteronomy 27, 20. It clearly says that is not to happen. And so if you choose to be disobedient to God, how can you continue to be in the fellowship or allow the fellowship for you to continue to be there? Because it's a habitual sin. It's not, this is not something, a one-time stand here. The language is very clear. It is a continuous mind, attitude, thought process. This is okay for me to do. Well, God says it's not. Who's always right? God. It's very simple, right? I don't keep it any more complex than that. God's always right. You're not. And as long as you keep that in mind, then you and I are going to do really well in our walk with the Lord. Childlike faith, right? There's no theology spewing out here. Just keep it simple. God is always right and you're not. But we will find out that that was the problem with this church. Because back then, it was clear the punishment of that sin was stoned to death. You were to be stoned to death. Now, that doesn't happen today. And I'm not advocating that we, we should have a rock pile somewhere, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, come on, brother. We're having a barbecue, you know, coming to my house. We're, we're all circled around. No, no that's, I'm not talking about that. But there's still an emotional death that still happens between spouses when a spouse goes off rogue. There's still, that sin will cause an emotional and spiritual death within a person. Emotionally will cause division within the family. Church family, blood family, relationships, that kind of sin will cause division. But spiritually, your sin causes a severance or a distancing from you and from God when you do those kinds of things. It hinders your prayers. You will dry up. You'll feel empty. And unless you're willing to repent of that sin and come back to God, you will then choose other things in the world to try to compensate for that pain and suffering you're going to be going through. Whatever that drug of choice is, an alcohol choice. Or any other things that seem to try to please and to satisfy the flesh. And it's not a good thing. It's a spiraling aspect in your life. You ever felt, you ever been there when you're sp- spiraling out of control and you seem to like going down farther, farther, and farther? Like a Jonah moment, right? Here we going over the boat and there we go. Going to the bottom. 
and but only by the grace of God. <laughs> yeah, you may not be bringing a, a a great fish your way, but he could be bringing a brother or sister in your life to help you, to try to encourage you, and you come to a point where you'll repent and be restored back into the fellowship as we will see. The third problem we see is in verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. So here's their problem. The sexual immorality that was taking place in that church was tolerated. They were First problem here is they were they had a prideful heart. They were puffed up. They were we saw this also back in chapter four, verse six, verse uh, eighteen, and verse nineteen. He, he, Paul kept reminding them, your problem of division, your problem of that your morality in your church is because you are puffed up. Your prideful hearts. You want what you want when you want it and how you want it. And those attitudes, that in your heart is going to cause you to fall. It's going to cause the problem even into sexual immorality or moral problems that will happen. Instead of being puffed up and saying, we're tolerant, brother. We're open. We're very acceptable. We love everybody. Everyone's welcome to come into the fellowship. And you hear that today, do you not? You see the signs out there. You can live however you want to, and you are welcome to come into the fellowship. That's not biblical. Do you know that? Yes, we want to reach all people. And we want to address the sin in that person. Yes, we will love the person, but we cannot love their sin too. That puts great, great challenge for you and I in the body of Christ. If we love them in, but then we continue to love their sin that they still want habitually to hold on to. They have no desire to change. There's no repentance. Just accept me as I am, brother. Who are you to judge? Well, we'll get to that because Paul says very clearly how to deal with that. But here he sees that there's a prideful heart continuing, this tolerance of open-mindedness, this inclusiveness that's acceptable, this sin acceptable within the church. The second thing we see here is that they, they were, had this, this tolerance that caused a hardening of heart. Meaning, they says, Paul says here, have not rather mourned. You didn't, you're not choosing to mourn or grieve over the sin that's in the, your brother's and sister's life. You know that it's in their life. You know that it's going to destroy them. You know that it goes against the word of God. And you choose not to say anything or mourn or grieve over that sin in their life because you're more worried about losing their friendship and, and their fellowship than telling them the truth out of love. I teach this all the time with the, with the youth group, the teenagers. It's one of the biggest challenges with teenagers, that they will choose to love. They love their friends so much that even though their friends are choosing some really bad things, they won't say anything. They won't go tell someone in authority that their best friend that they love so much is about to get themselves really in trouble. 
And as parents, we must teach our children. We must be in examples that we are willing to do it by grace and by love. And because of the love, we are willing to take that risk because we love them so much. And if they choose to walk away and not want to have fellowship and be a friend with me anymore, I know that I did what is right according to the word of God. And that God will bless that. God will somehow work that out and restore and whatever you need to do in that relationship. Be it at the body of Christ or between two people, two buddies, two friends in high school. You know. They'll work, God will work that out because you did what is right with the right heart. But the problem here is their heart was so hardened, they weren't even willing to mourn over that. They became desensitized to this moral problem in the church. And that is a, something very serious for you and I to consider. When you can sit there and you're so desensitized by the wickedness and the, the evilness, the sin that is going on in our community, we should never allow that in this church. Never. Because it will, as we will see, it will eventually, sin never affects just you. It affects everyone around you. Always. It's never a, never a doubt it's going to affect everyone. But Paul here highlights the fact that you have a, you're puffed up, you're prideful. You're not even mourning, you're not even grieving over any of this. Because he, he is, he, this guy who's doing this, has done this deed. It's not just in thought, he actually did the deed. He's actually taken action, and we can see that action that might be taken away from among you. This guy is not going to be in fellowship anymore because of the fact that he's doing this immoral thing. You're not even grieving over that? Do you understand that because of this sin in this man's life, because he's in this fellowship, he cannot stay here anymore, and you're sitting there in tolerance, and, and you, you'd say you, you're accepting him and doing what he's doing because of love, but you realize this guy's going to have to come out of the fellowship. We're going to have to take and remove him. We're going to have to discipline him because he cannot be in this fellowship anymore. And you realize he's going out from under the covering of the blessing of God by being taken out of the fellowship? Because in the fellowship there is a covering, there's a, there's a, there's a protection, there is a, uh, a, a, a covering that God allows within the fellowship of believers. And people don't always recognize that. That God uses people in a fellowship of believers to help one another. To, to share wisdom that God has given them to help you. To be available for you in your times of need. To be, a, to be available in the most tragic of times, but also to celebrate with you at the most peak moments of your life. And taking someone out of the fellowship because of the sin, open habitual sin of unrepenting sin, they are now no longer, they're out there in the world. They're out there looking. There's no place to come to find rest. There's no place to come and to sit where two or more are gathered together in God's name where he shows up and he ministers and he spirit moves in the lives of the people. Clearly, 
that was Paul's solution to the problem. That because of the deed that this man was doing, he needed to be taken away from the fellowship. And when he does that, that protection of the fellowship of God's people would not be available to them. But this church wasn't doing that. They were tolerating it. They were allowing it to continue to be in the church. But why not? Why didn't they take care of the situation? How could this kind of thing be allowed? Well, we've already studied the fact that the, remember that in Corinth, this city was notorious for sexual immorality, pagan relation, religion mixed with this. And so it was just, it's just the way the trend is going, brother. Isn't most of the churches accepting that this way? This is our culture. This is our city. It may not work in the rural area, but you know, this is, we're different. You hear it all. But I assure you, the scripture tells us very clearly, God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change for us. He is steadfast. We're the ones that need to change. The culture is the one that needs to change and be in line with him. Not us, not getting convincing God to change for us. We're to change for him because of our love for him. But you don't understand, brother. The culture in Greek, it's just a matter of fact. It's just the way it is. I get a mistress for my pleasure. I get a concubine who takes care of my physical, natural, you know, takes care of, you know, make, I'm sure I'm eating and you know, bathe and all that stuff. And I've got a, I got a wife to give me the legitimate children. That's how we do things here. But that's not how God does things. And that's all that matters. And they knew what the Old Testament said. It was very clear in Leviticus 18.8 that it completely forbids a man to have sex with his mother or stepmother. It says, the nakedness of your father's wife shall not uncover. You're not to see her nakedness. But they were doing it out of tolerance. We're a tolerant church. It's a sense of pride. Now we continue, Paul continues here, and he brings to light another problem. Sexual immorality must be judged. We must judge the sin, and we'll see this in verses 3 through 5. In verse 3, he says, For I indeed, as absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed. So Paul right up front says to you and I and to the body of believers there, I may not physically be in your presence in that church right now, but you're reading this letter and I'm letting you know that I am judging that person. Now I know some people automatically are saying, you can't judge. Yes, we can. The scripture is very clear we can we're not judging the person itself, but we're judging the deed or the action of that person. That we can do. We can be fruit inspectors. But Paul mentions very clearly in his spirit, he knows, he understands, he understands what's going on there. It's very clear. 
that in his position of authority as an apostle, he has the ability and the right to judge the actions of someone else. And if those actions go against the word of God, he can call them out on it. And he does that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see that. Because he says, for I indeed have already judged. And some people say, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, you can't do that. Judge not that you, you be not judged. You can't do that. But again, Paul is not being disobedient in the slightest of way according to the scripture here. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, forbids us to be hypocritical judgment. Judges of others by a standard that we ourselves are not want to be judged by. You're sitting there going, I can live like this and I'll continue to be this. Don't judge me this way, but I'll judge you that way. That's hypocritical. That's like telling your children, don't do as I do, just do as I say. It's hypocritical. Parents are not to do that. Believers, brothers and sisters, if we gather together, oh, you cannot be hypocritical. That's what he's referring to in Matthew 7. Paul is perfectly willing to apply the same standards to himself that he is applying to the Christian, uh, the Corinthian Christians here today. He says, I am at the same standard based on the word of God, and I'm holding you to the same standard by the word of God. And not my own standard, not the world standard, not someone else's, but what the word of God says. And I'm able to do that. And you're able to do that. See, some judgment is permitted and some are not. While some Christians want to judge the motives of someone, you're not to do that. You can't judge someone's motives because you don't know the heart. And you cannot judge a person's ministries. You're in no position to judge his ministry. But that's the most two common things that people love to judge. They think they know your motive and your heart, and they love to judge that. Or they'll come after you for your ministry because they think it should be a certain way, a certain how. And those are both sinful things. You cannot judge them. But people do. But we are certainly expected to be honest about each other's conduct or actions of what we do. That we need to come along lovingly and help them understand. Do you realize what the word of God says regarding that action that you're doing? That deed. If they do not know it, you just won a brother or sister over, didn't you? If they repented because you've brought light to what the truth is. Or that person may say, oh, I know, but God loves me regardless. He'll accept me regardless. Doesn't he love everyone? Isn't everyone saved? No. 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 (laughs) The word of God says no touchy. No touchy. Why do you think you have the ability and authority to touch something when God says not to touch? God is always right, and we are not right very simple all we have to be is do is be obedient now paul continues here one more thing how are we to judge even if it is the truth 
that you know this clears the truth. How do you to do that? And it's supposed to be always based on the word of God. If it's not clearly here, then no, sit back from it. Wait for the Lord to show you. But it's got to be word-based before you're going to judge someone. And the actions of others, or, and not the motive, because obviously in 1 Samuel 16, 7, also know that God can only judge the heart. But we're to do that by grace and in love. If you're going to come alongside and judge or make a statement that they're off track from the word of God, do it in, by grace and love. Not anger, bitter, or some spiritual puffed up attitude like, I found out what's in your eye. You know, you, you know, get the plank out of yours first. So we have to be very careful. In verse 4, he continues that he's doing this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's dealing with this problem, this moral problem, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of Jesus, of, of the Lord Jesus. So how is he to deal with this, Paul says? How is the church to deal with the issue of this man in the fellowship, in this immoral sex life here going on he says you're going to have to do it in the name of the lord jesus meaning by the word of god you're going to come right to them come alongside them in love and in grace and you're going to have to say you're going to need to be removed from the fellowship if you're not going to repent from that if you don't want to change you don't want to repent we're going to have to remove you and he says it very clearly it's delivering that man to the one to satan for the destruction of his flesh but don't stop there. It says that, that that his spirit may be saved in the, in the day of the Lord Jesus. So the very first how do you deal with this person in sexual immorality is to deal with the spiritual aspect of what's going on. We're to address him with the, the attributes of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about your Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what he has said in his word. Let me tell you how much he loves you and he has a good plan for your life. And in this, what you're doing, this deed, is not according to his plan. And I want you to introduce you to Jesus Christ. I want you to know the spirit of the love that comes from Jesus. That's the spirit I'm coming to you to share with what's going on here. I'm coming here because God is love. It's not, it is not a holier-than attitude I'm coming to you. I'm not a perfect man, but I'm just letting you know, brother, that this is a challenge, this is what I see, and this is what I want you to clearly understand what the Word of God says. Well, brother, you don't understand. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not some terrorist out there i'm not hurting anybody no one really even knows except maybe a handful of people in their minds maybe only one or two people or no one knows but that's a, that's the that's how the satan works he he deceives you to think that all this is just fine that you're doing the sin you're doing the way you think and the sexual immorality is just fine so just go with the flow and find a group that's like-minded because that's what happens if you are into this sexual immorality, you will feel your way around until you find other people who are like-minded. And now you've formed your little clique. Because there's comfort, there's protection for you for that. Because, oh, they said it was okay. 
That says okay, and they've accepted me. Why are you coming against me, pastor? Why are you coming against me, brother or sister? See how that all works? It's very subtle how Satan does it. But Paul says, no, no, you remove them from the fellowship and give them and turn them over to Satan because then if he's in the world, he's fully fleshed in the world, he's living fully fleshed by the flesh, there is no, there's no boundaries, he's not keeping it contained because what are other Christians going to say? He just lives however he's going to be flaunting it even more now because there's no guardrails, right? There's no boundary. So people tendency to become more loose about their sin when you're out in the world because you blend so well with the world, right? When you have a bunch of guys around you for every weekend, you're out there, you come to work, and all you hear is about their sexual immorality going on all weekend long, and they're celebrating it. If you're in it, guess what happens? You become just like them. It's, like, it's a permeable. It's just like you start acting and believing because it's just your lifestyle and you're surrounded by all these non-believers. But I assure you, Satan will use that against you. I thought you were a Christian. You do the same thing we do? And now you want me to come to church? Well, why would I go there? Already, you're doing what we're doing. There's no setting apart. There's no difference, Right? The church is supposed to be different than the world. Our moral standards are based on the word of God, not the world. And so what happens is, is they, God sees sin is sin. Yes, I know the dirty nine and the dirty dozen, whatever those things that you, you can go into scripture and say, oh, these are much worse sins. No, there's, consequences are worse, but God sees sin is sin. There's no dirty nine and, you know, devil of the dozen. Their sin just has more consequences for some than another. But sin is sin. 1 John 1.9 says, if you're willing to come to him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if the Lord is speaking to your heart, all we have to do is to come and confess that sin. Repent of that sin. And he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. But Paul says you're gonna, we're going to have to remove him from physically from the body of Christ. To show that we are no longer going to condone the actions in that man's life. We don't expect their open life of habitual sin of sexual immorality to continue to be in the fellowship because it will hurt the fellowship. But not only do we going to remove them physically, but deliver them temporarily as well. In 1 Timothy 1.18, we realize to learn not to... Uh, you can even blaspheme God by, by not to address the sin that is going on. But the person needs to come to the end of their rope. They need to come to the end where their back is to the wall or they hit the bottom and says, yes, I am living in sin and I need to change. I want to repent. It has to get to that point. 
And if you allow them to live in their lifestyle and live and go to and from, even coming to and from church, and like they can continue to live in a lifestyle of sin, and there's no consequences, there's no bringing them to the end of themselves, they're not going to. They'll just continue to spiral out of control, and then we'll start permeating and causing a problem, as we will see Paul will address with 11. So yes, we're supposed to remove them physically. Yes, we're supposed to be temporary because we're hoping that they're going to repent and come back into the fellowship to be restored. And that is why they have to be removed from the fellowship. As much and as painful as it is to tell a brother, you're not able to come back here anymore. And until you've repented, until you've confessed with your mouth and repent, you cannot come back. And that is for the purpose of restoring that brother. That is what it means to deliver such a one to Satan by putting him outside the church into the world, which is the devil's domain, the punishment of removal of the spiritual protection, the social comfort that comes from a church is now no longer there for them. Then the affliction of evil will start coming upon them. And in this body of believers, there is a hedge of protection around us. God often protects us from the attacks of Satan, even when we never even knew that the attacks were taking place. Go back and read Job 1, verse 10. Go back and read Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. God, there's things we don't even know going on that God is protecting us from Satan, and he protects us within the body and within as an individual. And then when you're sitting, you want to live your sinful lifestyle, then go do your thing. Go play. Prodigal son, go. Here's your inheritance. Here's everything. Go do what you want to do. We all know the story, don't we? Did it end well for him in the world? No. But he finally repented. He finally realized that he was in all of that sexual immorality out there and lost everything, and he was with the pigs. He finally came to his senses, the scripture says. Key word in there. Go back and read the product song. Key word. Does the person come to their senses? That means there's a change of heart. And he come back, and what happened? father come running to him with open arms loved him but who had the problem still in that that story the big brother we won't go down that rabbit trail today scroll moment we'll come back back here so restoration of the person that is why that person needs to be removed from the fellowship There is a very simple, Matthew 18 and other places, there's a very simple process to go through that. If you are brought some moral, some sin in someone's life, and God reveals that to you, you are to lovingly and graciously, with the spirit of God of love, come alongside and make sure that brother or sister knows what their deeds, their actions, is against the word of God. If that brother or sister does not receive, the scripture then says, then you you get two or three other brothers or sisters to come alongside you, to come and sit down. And and maybe through the counsel of many, right, can lovingly show that it's not just you with some attitude of, I'm coming against you, kind of. Well, now you got two or three people 
who are recognized this was going. And you lovingly come alongside with no other agenda other than to make sure you can help them understand that the path they're on is not right. It's against the word of God. If that person then does not receive from that the people, then you need to, if it's, if it's not a corporate issue, it's just affecting a small part of the body, not even a part of the body, just a few people are recognized, then they take it to the elders. The elders then, then pray and seek and come to that brother or that sister and says, your brothers and sisters have really revealed this to you and you're not receiving, you've, they brought someone, you're not receiving. We're letting you know if, if, if you're not a repentance right here, you need to leave the church. You've got, you, you got to go. Go live however you want to live. That's on you. We're praying for you. We're going to continue to pray for you. We're going to ask, and I hope and pray that you will repent and change, and you'll be welcome to come back. If it is a corporate, larger, everyone in the body knows this is going on, then the elders are going to bring it in front of the church. And they're going to, the pastor, I'm going to explain this, what happened. This person I had to remove because... Uh, you all are well aware that sexual immorality was going. It's well known and, and it had to be dealt with. And any of you think that I'm being harsh here, you, this is what the scripture says, you need to repent as well. That is, that is how church discipline works. We're not a con congregational run church. God, Jesus is the head of the church and he appoints a shepherd. And that shepherd is responsible for those sheep. And when there's a sheep that is sick, the sheep has a disease, the sheep, the sheep is not doing well, you have to remove that sheep from the flock or they will affect the rest of the flock. And it's the hardest thing you need to do. You've been protecting that sheep after wolves, from wolves and everything else and feeding them and carrying them. And when they get stranded and wander around and you brought them back year after year after year and then you find out that sheep is sick, it grieves you. It mourns to know that that sheep is not well at all. And it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Well, <laughs> I've got three minutes. To let, let's get through a few more verses here. So, because there's an infestation within this church. This infestation, we see in verse 6, Paul says it needs to be purged. The sin needs to be purged. And we see that in verses 6 through, th six through 13, but we'll only take a part of it. He says, for your glorying is not good. Do, not know, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sanctified for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I love sourdough bread, and Kathleen is mastering sourdough bread, and I am benefiting from that. Um, so you all know yeast and what that does to dough, do you not? It only takes a little bit and it causes it to puff up. 
You take, you create something, you take just a piece of it, and you put it in some new starter, and automatically that little bit will cause it to, the brand new starter to puff up. Paul is saying here, the sin that's in the camp is like leaven. It's going to cause a problem of puffing up. Pride is going to tolerance attitude of allowing sin in the camp and to stay in the camp as long as it doesn't affect you personally. And you allow it in the camp. It cannot be. The body with the cancer cannot keep the cancer in the body just because it wasn't affecting the little pinky at the time. It's only affecting that little skin cancer on the top of the head. It's no big deal. It's a big deal. That cancer has to be removed because it's visual. Everyone knows about it. But it's also if the cancer is inside and you do not see it, it doesn't matter if everyone else doesn't know about it. You know about it. God knows about it. And eventually those around you will know about it. It cannot stay in the body any longer. Yes, you've done a little treatment here. You may have done a little treatment there. And the chemo didn't work. And this didn't work. You shined light. Let's call it the chemo effect. You shined light. The truth of God on it. This is not good. I don't care. Let it grow. I'll contain it. All the rationalization, right? That Satan does, right? But eventually, you know as well as I do, it's got to be cut out. Regardless of how you feel and you don't want to go under the knife, <laughs> it's got to be removed. Because the rest of the body is only a matter of time that the whole body is going to be affected by it. It's got to be dealt with early, does it not? Are you with me? Do you let it just linger? Just let not address it because you're afraid to address the reality of what is happening? I assure you, if I see cancer, I'm going to deal swiftly, quickly, and they will be gone. Once I realize there's not a repenting heart, it will be gone because that cancer will spread to the rest of the body, and I love you way too much for that to happen. You will have a loved one who will say, you have been diagnosed with cancer, and they'll say, I don't want to do anything with it. But you love them so much, do you sit there and say, oh, it's your body, it's your life, I don't care. Do you do that? No, you mourn, you grieve, and just like this church should have been mourning and grieving, but they did not. They should have been encouraging and encouraging. You must get seen, you must get help, you must come and understand that what it's going to do is going to kill you, and it will affect me. And that is how we need to see our body. We need to love. We're a family and we must encourage each other in our walk day by day and allow God to work through our lives to encourage others to walk. And then if there's any sign of anything that seems to not right, then you're going to lovingly and delicately and gently, as we see in the scripture here, we're going to do that. How? We're going to do that not with a malice and wickedness that uh, sin causes but you're going to come in with a sense of of sincerity and truth there in verse 8 and you're going to come alongside them and, and, and you can test that they're going to know if you're really truly sincere and truly loving 
and using the word of God to do it. You will know. But let me give you this last moment of thought. If there's something not, something didn't go right, never hesitate to come to me. Let me help you. Because then we can go and help that person. If it's you personally that's having the problem, I just ask you. I hope you heard what the word of God said today. You will simply confess it and repent of that to the Lord. He will forgive you. Paul is addressing immorality in the church. Today you've now been addressed if there's any immorality in this church. You now know how we're going to deal with it. It's best for you to repent. Come, let us restore you. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. We want to love you. We do not want you to leave this fellowship. Amen? Let us pray.